Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Inconsistency has dogged the Edmonton Oilers for the last month. Indeed, since the team lost both Oscar Kleffbaum and Chris Russell to injury from its defensive core back then. Boy, it seems like a long time ago, doesn't it? With Kleffbaum yet to return. Resulting in them sitting on the cusp of a wildcard playoff berth in the NHL's Western Conference. And while the Oilers have been stuck in a win one or two, lose one or two type of ruts as of late, at least the half dozen other teams also in the wildcard hunt have been plagued by inconsistencies too for now. I'm Jim Matheson. I'm Rob Tichkowski. And I'm Craig Ellingson. I talked to these hockey beat writers for the Edmonton Journal and the Edmonton Sun about the continued sputtering by the Oilers, about talk of the team sending out serious feelers in the trade quest for a top line forward, and about the high number of shots they're giving up each game. This is the Oil Spills Podcast for Tuesday, January 15th, 2019. So I want to throw out that game against Buffalo, the 7-2 win. I want to throw it out the window almost, at least the first half of the first period, as a statistical anomaly. You know, they had five goals between the two teams uh, on 12 shots uh, by the midway through the first period. Um, throw that away, and it's, you know, the orders still come out winners. But there was some, you know, there was some luck going on there, Koskinen stopping a lot of shots what is your takeaway from that game last night? We're, we're seeing, you know, a team come off losing a game that they probably should have won or could have won uh, on Saturday against Arizona. Then they come out against a Buffalo team that, you know, is a, above them in the standings. They're in the Eastern Conference, but they have a, a better record than the Oilers. What do you? What's your takeaway? Uh, just uh, high fives and walk away with a seven-two win. I mean, that's. Buffalo hasn't been playing very well now for the last 10 games. They started the season well, and they're moving back into the pack with as an average team. So, you know, they've given up lots of goals lately. So, I, you know, could have been 3-3, or the Gronos could have been down 4-3 after the first period. You know, it was a right around the league. There was some high scores last night, you know, 8-5 games, 7-4 games. So it, it was one of those nights around the league where there's lots of goals scored too. And I... You know, I mean, if you're the coach, you're saying, geez, we played terrible defensively, but we scored seven goals, and that doesn't happen very often. And you're not throwing out two goals from Zach Cassian and Milan Lucic very readily. You'll take those four goals and uh, say thank you very much. Was there a comet flying over top of the league or something? or yeah, that was Full moon? Of, they had know. one of those nights where everything went their way. They've had a lot of those go the opposite way, so, you, you know, you can't really complain about, uh, you know, them, them getting lucky because they're not, but... Uh, uh, they could have easily lost that game in a seven-two game. It's quite conceivable that they lost it. I mean, how many how many nights are you going to get two from Milan Lucic and two from Zach Cassian? 
you know, how many nights are you going to score on, you know, what was it, two of their first three shots? You know, it was just everything broke their way, which is fine. And it was a, it was a big win and they needed it. But if you're looking at that game on film afterwards, they were badly outshot. And I'm thinking, you know, this isn't, this isn't a sign that everything is headed in the right direction. It's a sign that everything broke their way on that one night. And if they play that same way against Vancouver, they'll get lit up, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, Hitchcock said that after the game. I mean, the fits and starts, you know, they're, they're inconsistent. But that's, that's been this team since, you know, since their, uh, their uh, magical run at the beginning of Hitchcock's era, you know, ended, what, before Christmas. I mean, we've been talking this way for almost a month now. 15 years actually <laughs> well yeah true enough you know well you know particularly in this you know these last couple of seasons including you know last year and this year uh, the inconsistency is there um, yeah and uh, fortunately for the Oilers I guess is that they're the people they're in the hunt with for that wildcard spot the last two spots in the Western Conference there's that logjam of about five or six teams, and no one is seemingly gaining any traction and gaining ground yet. But here we are, a uh, few games before the All Star break, and uh, yeah, somebody's gonna have to gonna have to uh, start, you know, winning more games and separating themselves. We still have half a season to go. Well, a little less than half a season to go, but this is kind of make or break time for the Oilers since they do have a big chunk of games at home. And this, like all those teams stalling at the same time, all that did was let Arizona and St. Louis creep into the mix now. So now there's even more teams are going to be involved in this sprint to the finish. And like you said, with the All-Star game coming up and the Oilers' bye week coming up, they're going to be idle for, you know, eight or nine days there and watching all these teams move ahead of in the standings. So when they come back from the bye week, they're probably going to be sitting in, you know, 12th place and they're going to have to make a big charge. They might have a few games in hand, but they're going to have to start putting some streaks together because you've, you've got five, six teams, maybe seven in that mix. A couple are going to get hot and a couple are going to pull away. And if you're not one of those teams, then the, you know, it's, you're in, you're in some deep trouble because playing 500 down the stretches, it's kept you around up until this point. Cause everybody's kind of been weak, but somebody's going to pull away. And if you're not one of those teams, then you're, you're, you're missing again. And we'll see where the team's at next week. When we talk on the podcast again, but uh, you know, what do you do when you have that that chunk of time off? I mean, it's it's an anomaly in itself as well. Having that, you know, ulcer break then your bye week. I mean, that's that's almost it can be an advantage. Obviously, you have guys healing. You will probably maybe get Oscar Clefbaum back right afterwards. But you know, as we've seen coming off of breaks, I mean, mm-hmm. you have to get right back into it. I mean, you can practice all you want, you can work it all you want, but you know, you're out of the uh, out of the line of fire, out of combat for a while, and you, you're, there's going to be some rust. Well, there's rust, but every team in the Pacific Division gets the same break, as far as I know. They At all the same get the, time. Same time. Oh, really? The, the, the breaks uh-huh. I think come by division now. So the, everybody, you know, so Anaheim will get in a break as well as Edmonton and Vancouver, but Minnesota, but Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, Minnesota, Colorado, and St. Louis yeah. will be. No. So, and I, I think of all those teams. And Dallas, you know, they won't get a break at it. Colorado seems like the kind of team that could put a bunch of wins together again. They've been hitting the skids, but they can score lots of goals. And if if they get some secondary scoring for the best line in the league, I think they can they can pull away. But you know, I if you're a coach, I don't know what t- you stand behind the bench. You don't know what team you're going to see from night to night. Um, 
and that's discouraging. Uh, it's tough to coach when when you you don't have a lot of trust in your team, never mind certain players, as to how they're going to play the game. And it's about time they beat the Canucks. I mean, the Canucks aren't that good, but they've handled the Oilers twice the last two times they played them, and uh, and haven't given up a lot of goals either. So I, I you know, I think it's incumbent on the Oilers to beat Vancouver, especially if Elias Pettersson doesn't play, and um, he's a fantastic player. So um, I. I I think it would be very nice if the Gunners could beat Vancouver before they have to play Calgary. You know, if they lose to Vancouver, then they got to play Calgary. You know, they could be back-to-back losses pretty easily. Um, and then they're right back in the glue again. So, I just I still don't know what this team is. Are they underachieving on those nights when they just look miserable, or are they overachieving on those nights when, when you know, they, they score seven goals and, and, and you know, post these you know supposedly character victories it's just hard to tell and with with mediocre teams you get that a lot you win one you lose one you win one you lose one and and like we've said many many times you can set your watch by that team I went to the rink last night knowing for sure that they were going to have a strong game and 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 win because the night before they were awful which means going into Vancouver they'll probably have another lackluster game and everybody will jump on them for being terrible and then they'll come back from that and play a great one so it's weird, but they play their best when they're slightly embarrassed and angry, and, and they play their worst when they're just the slightest bit of reason to be complacent. And they play better against the better teams. I mean, they've played really well against Calgary this year. Mm-hmm. And Calgary, even when Calgary was, was, you know, clicking on all cylinders, the Oilers still beat them the last time they played them, one nothing, I think. And so when they lost a good game in Calgary, um, more of a high-scoring game, but they've played Calgary well. So I don't know what it, yeah, I... I have no idea, like Rob says, which team. And now the games are starting to get more. They're not losing the games 3-2 very often. They're losing them by four goals, and they're winning them by four goals. So, there's you know, the the grinding it out, as Ken Hitchcock wants to see it from the team to win these games, doesn't seem to be there. Certainly not, you know, depending on what day of the week it is. Are there just not enough, is there just not enough experience in the lineup or not enough veterans in the lineup? I mean... Having that, you know, state of mind where you're like, okay, we won a game, but we can't let the foot off the gas, sort of thing, going into our next game, preventing those fits and starts. I think they just they're they're missing that. You know, they have the the top end of the roster. Their top four guys are elite level. They can compete with just about anybody. You know, maybe Drysaddle is not as consistent as some of the other elite players in the league, but their top four, plenty good enough. And then below that, though, they have a lot of fourth line players. A whole bunch of you know, and they're good, hard-working fourth-line guys. But fourth-line guys are fourth-line guys. You're not gonna in today's NHL win. In today's NHL, you're not gonna win with that because teams are three lines deep now. Good teams have three lines that can score, and the others have one and a third line that can score. So that there is the issue. Guys like Reader and Spooner that you were sort of halfway, and you know, I guess Lucic counting on to round out your top six and and score you those you know ten to twenty goals. They're just they're not there. So they have four outstanding players and then a whole bunch of fourth-line guys, and that's not a formula that's going to win.
and defense. They don't seem to know which no. defenseman to play. Um, Clefbaum will come back. They don't get the puck out of their end very easily. I mean, that hasn't changed for years. The puck spends far too much time in their end. It's not up the ice quickly enough. The cycles last forever. The cycles last forever. And, you know, you can. it's not like it was a couple of years ago where you could time the number of when the team was going to score a goal because the Oilers just couldn't get the puck out for 30 seconds. Um, Clefbaum will certainly help uh, that because I don't think Adam Larson's played anywhere near as well without Clefbaum. And then when Clefbaum comes back, they can put Clefbaum and Larson back together. Uh, and then Nurse can can go where he should probably be is on the second pairing mm-hmm. with whomever. I'm not sure if that's Chris Russell or somebody else. And uh, then they can build from there. But when Clefbaum comes back, then they can have nine defensemen. So that doesn't include Sekra. That's way too many defensemen. And having two defensemen sit. I mean, it, it, you know why they're carrying two extra defensemen? Because they don't have any forwards. You know, the forwards they've got aren't scoring goals, so they're carrying one extra forward and, and two extra defensemen. And um, most teams are going the other way. They don't carry eight defensemen. So I don't know what happens when Clefbaum comes back. I, guess, I, I find it hard to believe they would send Caleb Jones back to the minors when he's one of their better defensemen just because yeah. just they can. Uh, you know, so what? You know, he's proven he can play. So, do you have some currency along your defenseman when it comes to the trade deadline? Oh yeah, at the trade deadline. I mean, but at the very you're least. damned if you do and damned if you don't. Everybody says you need lots of defensemen if you're going to be making the playoffs, and it helps to have lots of defensemen. Then you're going to trade a defenseman, but that's the only currency the Oilers have: is trading a defenseman for a forward. They get too many defensemen; they need a forward. Teams that want an extra defenseman at the deadline are teams with their sights on a long playoff run, so they're not going to give you one of their really good forwards for a depth defenseman. They, I don't see Edmonton trading their way out of it unless unless it's the first-round pick in Jesse Pugliarvi, and that's that's high-risk stuff because you, you have to win that trade, and to win that trade, you have to get something really good back, and I don't see a lot of teams offering Edmonton a really good young forward that has some term left on his nice contract in exchange for those two pieces. I find it, I can't fathom, I mean, Peter Shirelli has made some trades where you've you looked at it and says, oh, it doesn't look so good. I can't fathom he would give up his first round draft choice for the rental crop right now. Mm-hmm. There's no star rental no. out there now. There's players whose contracts are up, whether you're Wayne Simmons or Derek Broussard or Zuccarello or Furland or, you know, we're running down a list of a whole pile of them, but First round draft choice for for a lot of those players who are, you know, in some cases already over thirty. I, I just don't see it. Um, for a goalie, perhaps if you needed a goalie and a team had another goalie, you'd say, Yeah, we like they did with Dwayne Rollison back in the day where they had no goalie and you gave up a first round pick and Rollie was great. But I don't I just don't of that whole crop, I mean I'd like Wayne Simmons the best. I think if you could get Wayne Simmons for not a first-round draft choice, I'd take him in a heartbeat. I think he's he plays the game hard, and and if he's a rental, he's a rental. But he gets you into the playoffs. You know, going back, circling back to defense. I mean, no one's going to the playoffs if they're giving up that many shots per game, like we saw against Buffalo. Um, you have to have Miko Koskinen to make some impressive stops. They get outshot every game. Yep. Well, that's, that's it. In a lot of cases. I mean, yeah. how many times can you, can you win a game 7-2 in the, 
your goalie's the third star. <laughs> I mean, you won 7-2. Usually the goalie's an afterthought. Yeah. You, you don't even need one when you win 7-2. You're thinking, yeah, okay, we outshot the other team 45-20. We didn't even need a goalie. It's the other way around. So I, yeah, I... <laughs> That's the backhanded slap when you win 7-2. And your goalie's, goalie's the third, third star. star. And he, rightfully so. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he made a bunch of saves. He made a bunch of really good saves in the first half of the game, for sure. I mean, we don't know what it would have been like if Clothbaum hadn't been injured, if Sakura, say, was here all season. And you'd like to think that that was worth, you know, probably a couple more wins, if not more, on the order's record. And maybe they're solidly in a wild card position at the very least. Uh, if they have a, a healthy defense. I mean, a team like Calgary has enjoyed uh, injury-free season for the most part, you know, and they're on top of the conference. I'm not saying Edmonton is the Calgary Flames, but injuries are obviously paying, playing a factor here, and we're not going to know, of course. But, you know, quality of defense, I guess it goes to the quality of the players on the in the roster because when you're, you know, Darnell Nurse, as much as he's been playing a lot of minutes and he's actually been scoring points, I don't think if you had your full roster, he's in, he's in your top pairing. Yeah, well, it's you don't like to make excuses, but you can draw draw a straight line between when you know they were eight two and one, Clefbaum got hurt, and they lost six straight. So I mean, there is a straight line between where they are now and what happened then. So, I don't know if it's just Oscar Clefbaum or Paul Coffey that's out of the lineup. It just it it made a it made a pretty significant difference and like I always say like your number one defenseman is the engine of the team it's the like the shaft in your driver if it's not working and if it's if you don't have a good one it messes everything up so I we saw with Vegas like they got off to that kind of mediocre start and then they got uh what's his name back from the suspension and and immediately they kicked in and they're they're running away with things now they're one of those top three teams so you have to have your number one defenseman going and have him you know playing playing well and healthy and when you lose him it hurts if that was if if that's the magic uh, elixir and he comes back and they're back to where they were before he got hurt then i i would be amazed but you know it's well i guess we'll have to wait it's and the see the old when he's not there all of a sudden he becomes like a norris trophy candidate yeah. <laughs> you know when he's on the team last year the same man clefbaum's playing bad and then you know chris he had a bad shoulder all year so i yeah it's a ba- it's a backhanded slap to it the rest of the defensemen when you you lose Clefbaum for a month and you can't win a game and then you're saying to yourself well, we do have lots of defensemen here and we should still have enough NHL they do have enough NHL defensemen it's not like they've got four minor four guys from Bakersfield playing in their in their six or seven so I don't know yeah. well when you when you lose your best defenseman all your other defensemen become worse because your number two is now a number one playing above his head. Your three is a two playing above his head. Your four is a three. So everybody is playing more minutes and more responsibility against tougher opposition and they get exposed because there's not a bunch of depth. So, that, I mean, that's where we're at. If, theoretically, if Clefbaum comes back and assuming that he hits the ground running, right, he's been away for a long time, his hands all messed up, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see how good he is when he comes back. But uh, it sounds, sounds like they need him. And you guys were just talking about this a couple of minutes ago, but circling back to the idea that the Oilers are, you know, in the market, you know, the, some of the talk yesterday on Twitter and whatnot was that, you know, all the scouts, all the staff is out at all points scouting for a forward for the Oilers to acquire, you know, and on offer would be a young developing forward who we have to think might be Jesse Pugliarvi. But, you know, like you've already said, 
the timing is odd to do it now before the trade deadline. That's the summertime stuff. You're dealing from a position of weakness again. The whole league knows you need a forward. And then you're going to trade the fourth overall draft pick who who isn't exactly lighting it up. And what are you going to get for him? You need, if you're going to trade Puliarvi, you need need him to be playing a little bit better in terms of putting up stats before the other teams say, oh, this guy's a... And the only other team that the only team that can look at him and say is Carolina and say, well, we'll just play him with Aho because they used to be line mates in junior, and we'll get him going. Right, but that's it, the only team where you could, where you might be able to trade him to and say, well, it doesn't matter what his stats are because they're looking at a pairing of two former junior line mates. But I, I don't know. It's it's they'd had forwards. Now they're looking for forwards. Well, I mean, it, it just, I mean they just, just spin in their wheels. They had forwards. Now they've now they're looking for forwards. Well, and it, it just dawned on them now that they need that they need some scoring. I could I could have told them that in November first that you needed to be you know sending your scouts out across the league looking for some wingers that could that could put the puck in the net because that was been a problem heading into the summer. We saw it like okay, are you sure that you're going to put all your eggs in in Puliyarvi and Yamamoto? Because you know I'm not sure that's going to work. Oh, guess what? It didn't work, and here we are in you know middle of January. You know what? I think we need some forwards. You know, Jesus. Well, if they weren't up against the cap, they could have tried to get Jeff Skinner. Yeah, yeah, he, he would look pretty good. Thirty goals, um, playing with either Drysaitel or McDavid, he'd look pretty good on this team. Well, it's so, a case, case in my mind of the GM trading quarters for nickels, or in Jordan Eberle's case, a quarter for a nickel. Yeah, when it comes to that scoring. trade twice, yeah, like that's tough. Yeah. That's our Oil Spills podcast for today. You can listen to our show via iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud.